folks here. Thanks for joining me. And we've got Michael Shaw. Michael D. Shaw is a regular of mine. I've known him for years. And uh, he's, a, he's a health reporter and analyst published in various publications. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Well, pleasure to be here. By the way, yes, we've known each other for years. And I have to ask you this. Why do you look the same as you did 20 years ago? Oh, well, uh, the, the check's in the mail, right? Uh, <laughs> now, now, Mike, you, you know, you sent me a video that I found, interestingly, on YouTube only in French and German and not in English, which um, I think says a lot about the well, content I, I of this video. So oh, okay. <laughs> but but the video is is absolutely compelling and and, oh, yeah. and important with regards to putting the COVID nineteen pandemic in proper perspective. So let's let's go right to that. Um, talk about a bit the background of the virus and how the virus has been presented by whom and why. Okay. And that's really the crux of it, isn't it? Uh, in reading some stuff that actually wasn't in the article I sent you, uh, there are people that think this actually goes back to October 2019. Now, if that's true, then this is more serious than is, can be imagined because there were all sorts of major events in China and in Wuhan at that time. So... God knows how many people could have been affected. And it wasn't really until late December, I mean late December, that the Chinese even took uh, any particular note of this thing. So you'll recall that, that when it first started, the reaction, although Fauci denies it, but it, it, you know the tapes are there. Well, no big deal. It's like the flu. Don't worry about it. Don't wear a mask and stuff. And then, of course, it all changed and got into this uh, panic mode, and uh, you know, there we are today. Now, I've interviewed Lord Monckton from England, who's uh, pretty right. cutting edge on this subject, and he points out that um, the WHO sat on this issue for five weeks, that being toward the end of December, early January, knowing full well that this was a highly contagious virus. And that even in mid-January, they came out with a statement saying that they did not believe that the virus spread from person to person, which, of course, is false. Now, his accusation is that the WHO is headed up by an international communist and that it is completely and utterly controlled by the Chinese communists. And in a way, they were th their motivation for covering this up could have been very complex. We have no idea. Maybe they were covering it up the same way the, the old Soviet Union covered up the Chernobyl accident, which is how I see it. They just lied about it and lied about it because, and, the, and it contributed to the collapse of the Soviet Union because the people of Russia finally had had it. I mean, they, they could see that, that this was insane and it was a lie and the people were dying. And, and they just, uh, it was the final straw. So the Chinese being very controlling wanted to control the narrative. But meanwhile, for five weeks, people from China who had been ex uh, exposed to the virus and who were contagious were traveling all over the world. That's right. And so it spread during those five weeks. I mean, this to me is the most damning element of this. This is all the proof we ever should need 
of the terrible danger of any sort of a world government because you know people i mean i had a guest the other night who says the un should run a world government uh right the who is part of the un if they had a world government we would have had no you know system at all to to counter this this evil conspiracy to uh, allow a virus to spread yeah well i mean what you see is of course trump uh, i guess pulled this out of, of who eventually and this was met uh by almost universally negative comments by people that just blindly support the establishment uh presumably because that's all we have uh it doesn't seem to matter whether it performs and by the way that's exactly the same as the cdc cdc has been a joke for a long time um in this particular affair they botched the initial testing um they came up with an absurd definition of what constitutes a death by COVID-19 which inflated these statistics and finally uh Trump has pulled the, the death statistics uh, compiling away from from CDC but you may recall that uh back in the 90s uh the then director Julie Gerberding denied that there was any connection between immigration and the increase in TB and bed bugs okay uh, yeah. i mean what what else would have been the source well i mean they're obviously completely politicized as a group now there's another thing that was brought up in this video that and and it's what would it's called covid-19 um insurrection right um that i think is seems obvious to me on the surface and that is that in order to inflate the numbers to keep the public hysterical and to keep the panic alive and this is all during a time when the big cities including my own city of boston had spent how many millions of dollars building these huge mobile police uh, mobile um uh you know hospitals at the convention center in Worcester and in Boston which were basically empty the whole time yeah they right. let in a few homeless people in the meantime these governors and we could say but certainly Cuomo is known but also Murphy of New Jersey Wolf of Pennsylvania Whitmer of Michigan and Newsom in California they changed the the law to allow covid-19 positive people to go into the nursing homes that's what this video claims and i think that's documentedly what happened why did they do that well the the most dark aspect of that video is that uh it was 100% intention, uh, intentional that they wanted to kill these people uh i don't know if i'll go quite that far because uh there's some saying that goes and you could probably correct me uh never uh try to explain by conspiracy what could just as well be explained by stupidity mm. um but on that subject um uh, Fauci I think ultimately completely discredited himself on an interview I believe it was Saturday or Sunday on PBS NewsHour essentially praising Cuomo for the wonderful job he did in in handling uh the covid situation in new york and uh 
uh, one of the right-wing commentators said, this is sort of like praising the idiot generals in World War I that lost all their troops in, in certain battles and then saying the following week, the casualties went down. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, again, I, I'm with you. We don't know if this was a conspiracy, but the stupidity of it is colossal. And I think that any average person would never have done this. Interestingly enough, the head of the health department in Pennsylvania, actually, she took her 93-year-old mother out of a nursing home. So she knew what was going on. And that Cuomo lied about it when asked. He said, oh, well, this way he tried to blame Trump. And you know, sure. But the fact is that he changed the code, which had previously said not to put people with COVID-19 in nursing homes, unless the nursing home was completely set up for it. And it was, you know, they would be completely isolated. He changed that to simply a, a, a direct order to put them in the nursing homes. So the result of that, regardless of why they did it, was that I don't know how many thousands of people died because of it. But it did inflate the numbers of the disease. Between six and ten thousand, supposedly. Okay, so that's that was at the height of the virus in April, and it inflated the numbers. Yes. Now, now, you know, it's very hard to speculate on why they did it, but why did they do it? Why do something that stupid, intentionally? So now here we are, and we're, we're once again confronting numbers that are going up in certain states, particularly California and Florida. Um, it seems to me that however it happened, whether it was a, a lab experiment gone bad, maybe it was a deliberate experiment, I don't know. Nobody knows. Either way, it is a contagious disease. It did seem to have spread as a result of the, uh, the, the protest rallies um, yes. that included the, the burning and looting of black neighborhoods around the country. And also young people going out and going to the beach and saying, oh, we're fine. We're not going to have this. So now you have an increase in the virus in Florida, California, Texas, and I think Arizona. What, what, what's going on right now, Michael, with all of this? Okay, well, well notice how the, the goalposts have, have changed. But let's start at the end. Okay, you have more cases. And defining a case as a positive test for the virus. All right, but bear in mind that a large percentage of these, quote, cases are asymptomatic. Um, moreover, uh, you're going to want a lot of positive people if you're going to ever develop herd immunity. You're not going to develop herd immunity by locking everybody in their home. So the number of positive cases per se is not a big deal. Uh, you notice the media is de-emphasizing the fact that the deaths have gone down, uh, even as stupidly as that uh, death statistic is compiled. Uh, most recently, there was some guy that got killed in a motorcycle accident. Uh, I forget what state it was. And uh, it was listed as COVID-19 death. That even made the Drudge Report, which I think has been completely on board with the with the fear mongering. Oh yeah, and uh, the the whole way that people accounted, I think that's that's trickled out from several hospitals who have people have kind of blown the whistle on that. That yeah. anybody who um, died of other causes, but they might have had the virus, 
it's listed as COVID-19. People correct. who have, w without any kind of examination with his questions about the death, the death certificate says COVID-19. And that the hospitals may have some kind of a financial incentive to, to do that. They, they, they get $13,000 more from Medicare if it's an approved uh, case. Uh, well, if it's a case that they listed as that. So the politics of this thing have been ridiculous. And um, it's, it's a very sad combination of people that are married to the system that aren't necessarily uh, anti-Trump per se. But then if you combine that with the way to take down Trump, um, but I'll tell you what, people are scared. Uh, fortunately, my gym opened up a couple of weeks ago in Virginia. Okay, it started out with, uh, you know, maintain the social distancing and so on. Then after a few days as well, you're going to have to wear a mask when you check in. Okay, then it changed to, you're going to have to wear a mask when you check out because that's a choke point. Uh, yeah, wishful thinking. Uh, forget six feet, you could maintain 60 feet the way the gym is still empty. Uh, I mean, I feel bad for them. I, I understand. Now it's become, you have to wear a mask all the time, except when you're exercising, if you really don't want to. So case in point, um, because the, the center that this gym is in, I guess, is not doing any business, they've shut off the escalators. All right. And I consider it, look, if I'm going to go to a, to a health club, I'm going to walk up the stairs. Okay, it's 44 steps. So I get a little winded at the end of that. So I'd rather not have a mask on. So anyway, the guy was waiting outside to take my temperature, which is some sort of definitive. But of course, as a sidebar, when you take a temperature with one of these forehead things, it's going to be one to one and a half degrees lower than your actual body temperature. So it's very seldom that someone even reads 97, but never mind it. Mm -hmm. So I'm trudging up the stairs, and the guy said, Mike, where's your mask? Well, wait a minute. I'm not even inside yet. Let me, let me put the mask on before I go inside. So, but they're under a lot of pressure. They don't want to get closed. And my son in California, they opened the gym up for him and then closed it a week later. And, and, and there's a lot of talk about, of course, young, the children going back to school. And um, it's become somewhat of a political football in that, uh, you know, people who want to keep everything completely shut down. It's kind of like, in a way, the height of the virus when you had really draconian, um, extreme-oriented laws by certain blue state governors, if I may, to now they want to keep everything shut down as long as possible. And, and, you know, to my, I mean, is that, you know, is it, do you think the schools should go back? I mean, I mean, and if they do go back, it's going to be like going through some kind of a, a crazy quilt maze. I mean, with kids having to keep yeah. their desks separate and put on masks and they can only talk to you this time and not that time. And you can't go to the cafeteria and you only can walk here, but not there. And it's, it's like, it seems, you know, is it necessary? What is the best approach? Okay, well, first of all, on uh, yesterday on MSDNC, uh, they were interviewing all these experts, pediatricians, others, and every single one of them said it was better that kids go back to school. And of course, you can imagine the reaction of the host was just mortified. So, <laughs> uh, in Virginia, 
well, in Fairfax County, where my wife is a teacher, they are giving parents the option of whether they want virtual or in-person education. And they put an interesting clause in. It's like, okay, this is a decision you're making for the year. Okay. And my wife's a special ed teacher. She's going back to the classroom in the fall. And um, what they didn't make clear to the parents, I guess, is that she's not going to be the virtual teacher. She's going to be the in-class teacher. So a lot of the parents like her. And they were really, really upset to find that out. But what did they expect? What, you're, you're going to say, uh, hello there, TV audience, and you kids right in the class. I mean, they're separating it. They're trying to do their best. Uh, in California, as you may know, um, a couple of the districts, including Orange County, wanted to reopen. And then Governor Nuisance overrode all that and said, no, none of them are going to open. And there's a lot of people who are upset. Kids, And, and also, there's a political side to it in California in that I believe the teachers really? union, they, they've said, well, we're not going to reopen unless you defund the police and and yeah. and end charter schools, right? Yeah, well, the... I mean, so it obviously has nothing to do with COVID-19 for them. It's just, a you know, it's a political a hatchet. Well, the official position of the NEA, which every teacher has to join, uh, is that you can't go back to school until there's a vaccine. But but consider consider this. If they ever develop a vaccine for this virus, which is going to be very difficult, um, it is it can't be a conventional vaccine. I'll tell you why. There's a number of, actually an article just came out yesterday, not about a vaccine, but looking at people that have had COVID and then they monitored the antibody. They found that basically after 65 days, only 16% of the people had antibodies. So a conventional vaccine isn't going to work. Uh, Now, there's non-conventional vaccines where you're doing something weird to the, the outer shell of the virus itself to prevent it from entering the cell that has nothing to do with a typical immune response. But as I, I tell people, you're not going to be able to do a Jonas Salt type vaccine on yourself. It's, it's not going to work. There's never been a vaccine for any coronavirus for this exact reason. Uh, that's why there's not a vaccine against the common cold, which are mostly coronaviruses. Mm-hmm. You develop immunity, it goes away. Um, the only hope, ironically, is if you're going to have a conventional virus, you okay you have immunity for two months which should be enough time to develop herd immunity assuming you're not locking people up so everything you're doing is wrong so in other words there really is not going to be based on your research michael shaw there will not be an effective vaccine and that the only the only solution seems to be herd immunity now um how has that worked in, for example, Sweden, which did not do the lockdown? I've heard that Sweden has a higher death rate than Germany, which did do the lockdown. At least that's been what the official media has told us. Uh, well, you got to watch statistics. Um, I think what they did was 
they cherry-picked, uh, you know, ironically, like what's done on the uh, cholesterol and, and high-fat diet studies. You pick the countries that it fits your hypothesis. Uh, there are some that did better than Sweden, which Germany in, is, is one of them. There are countries that were, were very big on lockdown, like Belgium, that have one of the worst death rates in the world. So there's obviously something else going on here besides what country you're in. If you go to South Dakota, they didn't do any lockdown, and they have one of the lowest death rates in the country. So there's clearly some other factors missing here. And, uh, you know, you talk about the increase in Texas and Florida and Arizona. Well, on their worst day, they weren't anywhere near what New York was uh, with, the, with the deaths there. So there's, there's many, many factors. But overall, this idea, which believe it or not was public health policy, of quarantining the healthy and ignoring the vulnerable is what made it as bad as it is. Uh, and it should be an indictment of, of these overblown academics who are in charge of this. Uh, and I, I have to tell you something because it's, I've seen this my whole career. If you take an MD, the, f the further you get an MD away from treating patients, the more useless they are. Uh, Tony Fauci is a prime example. He hasn't seen a patient since 1968. Mm. Um, if you go on the website for his institute, his biography is embarrassing. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. It's basically, he's the greatest guy in the world. He's the greatest scientist in the world. Uh, and this is, the, this is the one that I like. He's the 41st most cited researcher in all science. Well, when you're head of an institute for 36 years, your name is going to be on a lot of papers. Right. Uh, I mean, did he actually do any research himself? And, you know, was the, were those sightings medical or were they more <laughs> policy and political? I mean, he seems to be more of a bureaucratic figure than than somebody who's actually out in the trenches doing science. Which well, brings yeah. me to my next question, Michael. Sure. Japan has had a very, very low rate of um, virus and very few deaths. Taiwan has only had seven deaths in a population of, I think, 30 million people. Right. Singapore. And these countries have not done anything like a lockdown, which, by the way, South Korea did do and, and apparently did it successfully. But nevertheless, the reason what I've heard, I mean, from reports I've heard, they're using legacy drugs as prophylactics, not just hydroxychloroquine, but several others as well. These are drugs that have been around for decades. They've been vetted. They've been approved. They're basically safe. They're certainly as safe, if not more safe, than any other drug on the market. As we know, all drugs have various side effects that you have to watch for. And so... I think that their success has been credited with the use of these drugs. Do you know anything about that? And if so, why aren't we doing it? Okay, well, an interesting question. Uh, that's largely true, what you're saying. And if you want to point to 
one of the few good things WHO does is they have what's called the list of essential medicines, as you know. And these are medicines that are tried and true. Uh, I think it's about 300 medicines that the idea is even if you're a 10th world country, you have to have these because these are, these are the good ones, okay? So there's a tendency in the United States to throw out the old stuff uh, and to come up with new expensive proprietary meds. So it would be against the grain to say with this horrible new disease, well, you know, just use hydroxychloroquine. Um, that would be like, uh, you know, bathing in the Jordan River to cure your whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think they took a more proactive approach. They also have a much more homogeneous society in these countries you mentioned. Uh, everything isn't racism in, in those countries. So they didn't have the built-in politics. And it must be said, they didn't have an active media uh, cheering for uh, a million deaths to try to unseat Trump. And if you throw all that together, um, it, it kind of explains it. So I guess, Michael, where are we going now from here? I think that, um, I mean, I say it somewhat facetiously, but I think that if, if Trump loses the election, the virus will be over the next day. Um, but That's exactly true. <laughs> People know. said, when is this going to end? And I tell them November 3rd. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 if, and if he's elected and reelected, we're going to never hear the end of it for another four years. But putting that aside, where are we going at this point? Do you think that the, the contagion, I mean, I've heard that the, the virus itself is mutating in a way that indicates that it's weakening, that it's mm -hmm. not the death sentence that it was to, to the number of people. Right. that it's becoming, moving in the direction of being just more like a terrible flu. If is that true? Be, and is that yeah. where we're going to be going with this? Yeah. If you want to be a successful virus, you don't want to kill the host. All right. So it's very typical for viruses to start off wherever they start off and then decline into something that's far less severe. That's overwhelmingly the case sure and bear in mind by the way that any virus that's pathogenic to humans originally came from another species okay mm -hmm. so, sure. so so that most viruses are not pathogenic to humans there are there are some and as i tell people when they're worried about look at all these positive uh, results coming out uh there's a virus called uh, human herpes virus 6, HHV6, which is positive in 100% of humans. And if you go to the HHV6 Foundation website, you're going to see a list of diseases that are a whole hell of a lot more serious than COVID-19 that are caused by this. Uh, the little brother of HHV6 is HHV4. Uh, you may know it as Epstein-Barr. And this, this virus is only in about 95% of humans. 
It causes, as you probably know from your college days, infectious mononucleosis, but it also causes uh, various forms of cancer. And everybody has it. Okay. So what's going to happen, I believe, is the virus is going to get less, less serious. People will stop talking about it. As, by the way, they stopped talking about AIDS. Whatever happened to AIDS? There's no vaccine. There's people that still get it. Well, I think that it. they developed a, a cocktail of drugs that allow people to live with AIDS. So it's no longer this death sentence that it was. And um, in fact, I had a, a guest of mine say to me, and this is nothing, I am in no way endorsing this. Okay. But he was taking one of these drugs called uh, PrEP, P-R-E-P. Mm -hmm. And he says that it has absolute immunity from coro coronavirus. I have no idea. I mean, it's a legacy drug. I, I don't know that. But I guess that getting back to the, to the topic here, um, it's going to become something that we will develop an immunity to like we have to all of these other things. Is there anything, Michael, that we can do, and I'm asking you as a, as a medical journalist, to improve our immune system? I mean, are there things, habits, foods, drugs, whatever? I mean, I'm always, I'll admit, I'm always looking for a magic supplement or something. I mean, my daughter has criticized me for this. Um, but, but is there anything that we can do to improve our overall immune system so that if we do get this thing, God forbid, and by the way, people be careful, and I am, then we, we, we will be more likely to sort of be able to just get through it and then, you know, not, not have it be devastating. The closest thing to a miracle drug for the immune system is vitamin D. And um, I personally take 10,000 units a day. Okay. Uh, and, you know, they, they try to raise this fear that it's dangerous at some levels, but uh, then they did study and, and people were taking 100,000 units a day. And they do it. So, um, zinc is a very good prophylactic. And, uh, you know, beyond that, common sense, you know, uh, while you're, you're not going to French kiss someone that has COVID-19, um, if you maintain proper precaution and common sense, uh, that goes a long way. I mean, when I got mono at the end of uh, undergraduate, uh, I wasn't doing any common sense, and it swept through a particular dormitory that I didn't even live in, uh, but I had a girlfriend that lived, so I was there all the time. And uh, people in close proximity and, you know, do the math. Uh, okay. And, and, you know, as you say, good common sense, you know, maintain, I think there are some basics we can learn from this. Maintaining, you know, clean hands, hygiene, uh, not, go, not going into tight quarters with people. I mean, right. I, I generally, I... New York subway system. Yeah. I mean, I actually support that. I mean, I've never liked crowds anyway, but... You know, I know that some people have to, and if you do have to, you know, maybe wear a mask or maybe, you know, try to be careful. And and I would also say, and I've heard this said actually by President Trump, that a little direct sunlight is healthy. Not too much, yeah. maybe a half an hour a day. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, that's right. And especially if you live in my part of the country, up in Boston, 
you know there's a, there's a vitamin d deficiency most people have it right. and so you need to get out and get some sunshine in your face every day and if you Just can't you can supplement it it's, it's cheap okay so michael what else do you have coming up on your uh, on your radar right now oh boy um <laughs> you know i mean I, I try to write a different column every week and there's been a bunch on covid um uh, i did i think i sent you that thing on an excited delirium which <laughs> is a pretty controversial subject that we can talk about someday yes um but um you know it's this has been kind of a dominant subject matter and then you know with my day job there's interesting stuff going on in uh in that field but but um yeah this is the number one sort of big health issue now and uh, maybe people start learning about viruses uh they're very exactly. interesting and they they're scary and uh, uh i'll just leave you this one question mm -hmm. right? knowing that dangerous viruses come from when they jump species why poke the bear why screw around with bats it's insane even if it's completely uh what am i looking for uh, genuine and and innocent are they still doing it well we gave uh i think four something million dollars to this wuhan institute to do it i mean and the supposed reason was well, we want to know why bats have all these viruses and they don't get sick. Well, because they're bat viruses and you don't get sick on your own viruses. There, just solve it. Give me the $4 million. Yeah, really. You, you would have taken only a million to tell them yeah, that. Okay. <laughs> why? I'll, I'll take a hundred grand to tell you that. Anyway, yeah. but, um, I, and Lord Moncton said on this program, and he's sort of an expert on China, he said that these, ba these uh, bat caves in China have more bats in them than the whole population of the earth. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a real problem there. And oh, yeah. um, it's one that you don't poke around with, as you say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just, even if it wasn't engineered, which I think it was, why mess with it? What good is going to come with that? Because all these viruses that came from China, the Hong Kong flu and the Asian flu and the Black Plague, or, well, that's not a virus, but they it's because they live in very close proximity with animals all these bird flus so why mess with it why make it worse it's very bad science anyway michael where can people read your articles okay they're always on uh, healthnewsdigest.com uh i mirror all of them going back to i think 2004 believe it or not on uh, my own website gasdetection.com and uh, you know a few other places but as always, it's great to talk to you. And uh, I see in your Florida room there. Why, why <laughs> yeah, do you have a Florida room in New England? I don't know. Because I'm trying to keep separate from my family and not disturb them, <laughs> basically. Okay. All right, Michael, listen, again, thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. So, talk to All you later. Right. Thank you.